All right. If you would, with me, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. It's after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then comes the book of Acts, which records the early church. Uh, in one point, at one point, Jesus uh, says that um, the kingdom of heaven comes violently, and the violent uh, take, take it up. And, and it means it comes suddenly. It comes with determination. It comes uh, surprisingly. It bursts or explodes upon the scene. And the book of Acts is recording these sorts of explosions of God in our lives. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16 and uh, specifically uh, the story of how Lydia, uh, a dealer in purple, uh, a God-fearer, comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I had a phone call on Monday night that, that led one thing led to another. And it became clear that as in last year in 2022, we recalibrated our understanding of the Lord's Supper. Um, I would like to begin this year recalibrating our understanding of baptism. And thinking through that, what does it mean? Um, what should we, how should we practice it? Uh, what are those sort of de details? Uh, what happens in baptism? And it seems to me, rather than starting in the Gospels, the Lord brought my attention to the story of Lydia and the Philippian jailer and others. There's actually three sets, we might call it, of baptisms, so to speak, uh, that come from this chapter. But we'll look at the first of the three today in the case of Lydia and uh, seek God's grace uh, for this. So Acts chapter 16, did I tell you what page? It's on page 924 uh, in the Bibles that I provided for you there. Uh, actually, just the last line or two of Acts 16 is on page 924. And then we'll look uh, forward uh, as we look at the rest of Acts 16. Yeah. I'm going to read the whole chapter, uh, even though we'll only be looking at Lydia. I would like to read the whole chapter, and I'll begin uh, with sort of a geography lesson, since uh, Brother Brian uh, brought such an inspiring story about maps last week. I have to show a map in a minute. Uh, oh, don't put it. It's too early. You don't do that yet. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Oh, now you know what the map looks like. <laughs> uh, even the children's bulletins have maps, and so I agree with Brian. Uh, maps are a good thing. The scriptures are filled with place names. There's a lot here at the beginning of Acts, verse uh, 1 through 12. Let's read those uh, verses now with God's grace and help. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of, in Asia. 
And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city where we supposed there was a place of prayer and went down and spoke to the women who had come there together. So just a moment here. Now you can bring up my map. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, so he's, this is the second missionary journey of a guy named Paul, previously named Saul, who had this incredible encounter with not just the spirit of Jesus, but the risen Lord Jesus with brilliance and power. And, and it reformatted, recalibrated Paul's, or Saul's life so thoroughly that he gets renamed Paul, brand new name. And, and this changes his life. And eventually, after following Jesus for some time, he is sent out by God's spirit and the church uh, to lead a team of cross-cultural missionaries who go out and plant churches throughout uh, the Roman Roman Empire of the day, using the wonderful road system that had been laid down by taxpayers for the gospel, praise Jesus, right? <laughs> uh, here we are now, kind of a picture of the second journey, the second missionary journey. Uh, and, and this is Paul, he's going on up, and if you look, what looks on the right-hand corner, like modern-day Turkey, they were heading through this, and we were reading about this, how it says, in rather unique language, actually, that the spirit of Jesus said, don't go this place. Don't go in this region. Uh, don't go into that area of Asia, not into Mycenae, not in that area. And so he sends them to Troas instead. And then there's a vision that night or something. And, and they're led by God's spirit to go over to a place eventually we, we will see called Philippi. So all that to say that it's an interesting setup. And, and what is uh, actually embedded in this particular section of sort of place names is something that, that you might have missed. Uh, not only is Paul assembling a team as he goes, he has uh, Paul and Silas with him already, and maybe a couple more. Uh, we don't know every single name, perhaps, that was in the group of, of folks who were doing this uh, missionary journey. But he picks up a young convert, a young disciple named Timothy. And he becomes quite a remarkable young man that, that Paul disciples and trains. And also he picks up another one, probably in Troas, whose name is not laid down here. But if you're a careful reader, and if you're a student of Scripture, believing it to be God's word and believing what Paul said to Timothy, that all Scriptures God breathed, namely every little detail matters. And we'll talk about why one place name matters in a moment. But there's something interesting in verse 8, and prior to this, in all of Acts, there's this second-hand reporting aspect uh, of Acts. So in verse 8, it says this, So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And then again in verse 10, after the vision of the man from Macedonia that night, it then says this, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, we... 
Here's something beautiful about those who serve God. They often would rather be not in the spotlight. There's a man who joins Paul's team at this moment, a physician who will be needed for a pretty bad beatdown in a minute, uh, a guy named Luke, who writes the Gospel of Luke, who writes down this book of Acts. So in the, in the amazing way of God, bringing together a team to broadcast and proclaim and publish the gospel, this is where that great physician that if you've read his books, Luke or Acts, you've come to appreciate his work, amen? So God's bringing his team to bear and he's just about to send this team uh, to a city and they're gonna see Quite an amazing thing as God reaches into some people's lives. Let's keep reading now. So this is Acts chapter 16. And I'll, um, why don't I start again in verse 12 and we'll move on all the way through the end of the chapter. So they go across the, the area there in the, the part of the sea and they arrive at Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We re- remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we, met, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to that spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
The jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire, his entire household that he had believed in God. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are really dependent upon you and your spirit to come and and to stir us up, to recalibrate us, uh, teach us as we begin 2023 uh, that you are a God of great power. And when you move, decisive things can happen around us, in us, and as we're praying. Uh, thank you, Lord. Uh, we would like very much to be uh, as close to the scriptures as possible, to not be deviating in even minor ways, but to be all the way in sync with your word, walking down the narrow path with you, for you, filled with you. And so regarding the matter of baptism, Lord, would you teach us? We are none of us experts, though many or even most of us have been baptized, we have much to learn. So open our eyes that we might see. And give to us the faith that fits the baptism we have already gone through or give to those who have not yet been baptized the faith to trust in Jesus. May it be so today or any day that you would so choose to move for Christ's sake. Amen. Excuse me. We're, we'll be looking at this marvelous, remarkable encounter and work of God in a woman whose name is Lydia. There are three examples of baptism. There's Lydia, there's the Philippian jailer, and then there's this interesting term, both people, Lydia and the jailer. It mentions that not only were they baptized, but their households were baptized as well. Uh, there's a lot even in just saying that. <laughs> if you're trying to think through baptism, there's a lot to think through already. Questions probably that you're aware of or that you haven't yet to encounter are going to pop in your head. But for now, we're going to settle our attention on this remarkable case of how the Lord Jesus Christ saved a woman named Lydia. Why did she get baptized? Uh, what did it mean to her? Those kinds of questions. And before we even get there, let's search, let's search the text. Who is Lydia? Who is Lydia? This is a, a testimony laid down in the book of Acts. 
uh, probably we think for sure by the hand of the Luke, uh, the physician. He was there. Uh, he knows what happened. And this is how he describes Lydia. Verse 14 of chapter 16 in Acts. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul as she was baptized. So this is the woman we're talking about, the case of Lydia. And it's interesting. What do we know about Lydia? Well, there's three things there in verse 14 that, that are described, that describe Lydia. Uh, who is Lydia? Well, she's from the city of Thyatira. Don't you all know what that means? No. <laughs> I only know because I was looked carefully at all these different place names and, and checked it out. Uh, it's really fascinating, actually, more than you realize. Though she's in Philippi, a, a colony, a, 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 a relatively new city that was founded for um, sort of ex-army officers from Rome, citizens, a rem kind of an interesting city. But she was not from Philippi. She was from Thyatira, which is really fascinating because in the paragraph right before it mentions her, it mentions a place called Mycenae, which is the very region in which lies a city named Thyatira. In other words, the Lord Jesus, by his spirit and directly, forbids Paul and his team from sharing the good news of Jesus in the very city where she was from, in that region, that area, but sends him somewhere else to a person who's from that area. <laughs> now, isn't that marvelous? Isn't that remarkable? Brother Brian is right. Maps are interesting. <laughs> they really are. Uh, here's what that means to me. What is, so what? What's the application? Well, we don't know really, at least not biblically in the scriptures, is not lay out the full story of what happens to Lydia and all of that. But, but may I just draw this one at least, uh, if I may call it application. Lydia is from a, the region, a region that the Spirit of God has just forbidden a team of missionaries from speaking at. We don't necessarily know why. We could probably speculate why that was a stronghold or why it was not yet time for the Spirit to move there. That's not for us to sort out. But here's the thing. When God saves someone and the timing of that person's salvation has everything to do with what he plans to do. And he doesn't save just one person. It may just seem, especially as Americans, we're very, we're very individualized. And baptism for us is very personal. It's very about me. I'm the one getting wet. But in all this, this chapter is laying out how well one person may have gotten wet, but soon others got wet with them is the point. In a similar way, in reaching this woman who's from Thyatira, could it be that in reaching her, she becomes the sort of the means by which these very region is, is eventually reached because of her connections and, and things like that. Like God knows how to reach people. There are people who Paul was not able to reach or not permitted to reach, but who Lydia was designed by God, raised up by God to reach. Now, that's just one example of a woman here in the Bible in one little paragraph. Now, insert your name if you're a born-again believer of Jesus Christ. If he saved you, he didn't do it just so you can be fat and happy like a little Buddha statue, living for yourself and feeding yourself on the scriptures and other things. You should feed yourself. But he designed it so that he, if by saving you, he could save a great many others as well. 
There are people who cannot be reached by Pastor Josh and never will be because of who I am and how I roll and what I say and what I look like that can be reached by you. And that, in fact, in Philippians, it says, I think that's Philippians, where he says, he has ordained fruit for you. The Lord has a plan for you. He, he intends certain people to be reached by you. That's partly why you were saved, why you were baptized, so that others might be baptized too. So that's the first thing to notice about Lydia. She is from the city of Thyatira. Uh, not in her home area, now living in, a, in, a, in a, a colony in a new city called Philippi. The second thing to notice there in verse 14, it says rather interestingly that she is a seller of purple goods. She's a seller of purple goods. She's a merchant, a businesswoman, right? Uh, she's apparently quite an enterprising businesswoman. Uh, because she has a big enough estate that Paul and his entourage, which was by this time at least four people, uh, perhaps more, four guys, she's able to, to provide for them places to sleep, places to rest, food. So she's got a villa. She's got something bigger. She's got an enterprise going on that she's built up. And if you didn't know, if you've read the Bible or studied much of ancient history, it's fairly unusual for a woman to be leading such an enterprise. It's not impossible. But ordinarily, it's the man who starts these businesses, who leads things, who who's immigrates and brings his family with him. Ordinarily, in a, and that's partly because of the violent nature of these times. The, the rule of law was strong in the time of era of Rome, but but still, uh, it was it was dangerous to be alone as a woman, and you needed guardians, you needed to be protection and that kind of thing. So somehow, though, whether she was a widow or she was single, and we don't know that story, it could be that her husband was a dealer in purple, died or, or, or abandoned her or something even worse. Maybe somehow she is on her own now, except that she's not alone, is she? She has a whole household with her. Was that her children? Uh, we don't know. Was it servants? We don't know who you know, was in that household, but there were many with her following her who were there that day at their t- meeting of prayer. So God does something beautiful in, in Lydia. And by the way, her name kind of evokes the idea of beautiful one. Uh, that Greek idea of, of beauty is connected with Lydia. Lydia just means from Lydia, from a place of beauty, from a place of, in Persia that's noted for beautiful things. It's a beautiful island. There's, there's this remarkable purple dye is found and made there from some clams or whatever that are dug up. And, and that with that purple dye, it's not just like a specific... You know, one hue of purple. Uh, I'm telling my daughter Abby, who's an art student, she's going to care about this purple stuff. Like, it's not just a specific purple hue. It's like the whole spectrum of purple and all that could happen when you dabble with purple, going with reds and other things. So, in other words, here is a dealer of purple because she has an eye for beauty. She's, she has an eye for beauty. She's so enterprising that she's able to build a rather extensive industry, you might say, connecting, trading, because she knows what's beautiful. She's able to sell garments dyed in certain kind of colors that are is attractive in the marketplace. So she's made quite an estate for her, quite, a, quite an enterprising uh, woman, this Lydia is. 
And, and if she was married or whatever that situation was, whether she took the initiative initially or whether she steps up after her husband uh, passes away or a former uh, you know, business owner, I don't know. But regardless, Lydia is someone who, who's bold. You see that in this, uh, her response to, to Paul already. She's decisive. And you're about to see also that she's a servant-hearted person. The third thing I'll notice, not only is she from the city of Thyatira, not only is she a seller of purple, she is a worshiper of God. Now, if you've read the book of Acts and you know how the Gospels and Acts work, you know that that is meant to be a, a kind of like a clue about her. That means she's not a Jewess. She is not a Jew. She's a Gentile who is like some Gentiles who have their wits about them in a pantheon of gods that seem rather silly and impotent sometimes in vain, she has decided or believes that she should pray to the God, the one God of the Jews. That is Yahweh, Yahweh, the God. She begins to see that, that she, she wants to fear such a one. She begins to try to learn about him. So she's, like so many Gentiles, I would call them God-fears, are like they tag along with the Jews. But Lydia has a challenge. We don't know if there were Jews in Thyatira uh, at her time or when she was growing up or if there was a synagogue that she attended to listen to the rabbis and others speak. We don't know that. But we do know that there is no synagogue in Philippi. We know that because Paul always goes to the Jews first. In fact, that's why he's at the river, because if there is no synagogue, well, then perhaps there are whatever Jews or God-fears are present, they would go to the river. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, that often the people would go to the rivers if there isn't a, you know, a facility, we would call a synagogue, for gathering to study God's word. Well, apparently there are a few. It actually, it says explicit that, they, that, that there aren't any men there. There were just women who gathered at the river who fear God and they gathered to pray. And, and that's somewhat significant. I mean, you need, the custom, by the way, if you didn't know, is you need 10 Jewish men, 10 Jewish households to, to establish a synagogue. So apparently there weren't either enough either actual Jewish men there to have a synagogue or enough faithful Jewish men to want a synagogue. We don't know exactly all that. But we do know this, that Lydia is there. <laughs> Lydia is there. She's available. She's praying. We don't know how much she knew about God, but she's about to take the lead, or at least we can say this, that God's about to give a lead position to Lydia. And that comes up in verse 13. Would you look again at that one more time? On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So again, the situation, you have a, a prayer meeting where there's women, perhaps there's children, boys and girls, babies. We don't know all of that. Certainly there was some other people besides just, you know, women uh, in there because her whole household is about to be baptized with her, whatever that might mean. But in the absence of what I would say faithful Jewish men who are taking a stand in the city of Philippi, at least there is a faithful God fear, a woman who doesn't know what else to do except for praying. And it's interesting, that Sabbath morning, how God uses those who are praying. These folks had come together. They're at the river. Uh, they're praying to God. They're at, and we can say that that God that they're praying to is the God of the Bible because it's the Jewish Sabbath, which is an unusual day in that 
to pray, a different way to pray, is signaling that they're praying to the God of the Bible. That's what that means. They're not praying just generically to Zeus or the Pantheon or gods, plural. They're, they're seeking the God of the Bible. How does that happen? What does Lydia know about this God? What does she know about the Bible? We, we don't really know very much. In fact, we know nothing at all except this, that her knowledge was not quite uh, sufficient. Because a rabbi named Paul comes with a few guys, and that must have been also a rather unique dynamic in a time when the, the sexes were deliberately um, separated from each other. Remember when Jesus was at the well and the woman was very surprised that he would even talk to her? Remember that? Especially a Jewish man would talk to her? Well, here you have a group of ladies and at least four guys, right? Timothy, Silas, Paul, Luke, at least four guys. You have a group of ladies praying, probably coming each week to pray. And then a group of guys come like, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a place where there's a bunch of, like in college, like it's all ladies, the guys come up, like it's kind of like, you know, a little bit, you know, like alarming at first. <laughs> so, so Paul comes up and he begins to explain the gospel and says, which is quite surprising that she expect the rabbi to unpack the Bible. And perhaps he did unpack some of the Old Testament, but he picked specific passages probably that pointed to the Messiah who is Jesus the Christ. So she did not yet know that the Messiah had come, that he had fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, that he had come to save the people from their sins. And, and she does not yet have the Holy Spirit. She's just praying to God. And that's a good place to be, good place just to start, pray to God. But she's about to be saved. She's about to be born again in a remarkable way. She's about to get more than she asked for, we would say, right? <laughs> Better than she could have dreamed. And the way in which she's saved is beautiful. Verse 14 is a marvelous description of how God saves her. And I would say to you and to me that this tells us something about how God saved me. How he saves anyone. It says in verse 14 there, the, I think it's the second part. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul. Now, I want to encourage anyone here who does not know what Paul knows. You just can't help yourself. You don't know what you don't know. You might be, sometimes you hear me preach here and like, the way he talks, it's like, I know I'm missing something. I get the ideas, I get the information, but there's something qualitatively different. I, I, I can discern something, but I just don't know what I don't know. Well, still pray. <laughs> get in the place of praying. If you, prayer. If you want to learn something you don't yet know, you've got to put yourself in a position to learn. And at least Lydia is praying. She's praying. Remember, there's another guy named Cornelius. He's a, a soldier in the army. He's a centurion. He was pr a prayer warrior. He was praying. He didn't know what he didn't know when Peter the Apostle comes and the Holy Spirit comes upon that man. Do you remember earlier in Acts when that happens? So you don't know what you don't know. If you're not yet born again, if you don't even know what that means and you've heard that phrase and you're thinking, what is he talking about? Don't worry about it. You just keep praying. God will do what he's going to do in his time and in his way. I want you to see that the way in which Lydia is rescued from her sins and brought into life, the life of God, three things occur. One, Paul speaks. Two, the Lord acts. And three, Lydia responds. One, Paul speaks. Two, Lydia, or the Lord acts. And then three, Lydia responds. Paul speaks first off. That's what it says here. She was paying attention to what was said by Paul. What did he say? What did Paul, hey, 
I mean, just like that time when Jesus was risen and he was appearing to some brothers on the road to Emmaus. Don't you wish you had been one of those guys to hear what Jesus said as their hearts began to burn within them? Don't you wish you were there? What did he say? Because it wasn't recorded in scripture. It wasn't laid down explicitly. I think, or would contend, that in large part, what was said is incorporated into Simon Peter's wonderful, marvelous, masterful first sermon on Pentecost in Acts 2. We don't know exactly what Paul said and preached there at the riverside, but we do know that it includes something about baptism because that's exactly what she did. He mentioned baptism, that first sermon in Philippi, and it reminds me in Acts chapter 2, I thought I'd read the end of Simon Peter's sermon, because I think it's a good summary uh, of what the Lord had Paul say as well. Oh my goodness, my broken thumb is making it hard to find Acts 2. <laughs> oh, there we are. I want to read Acts 2, just one paragraph, the end of his sermon, or really, uh, his sermon's over, which ended quite, must have been quite a, a heart-wrenching ending. His sermon ends... Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then he goes and sits down. <laughs> like, can you imagine how startling that was for those Jews, right? They're in the temple. They're at Pentecost, the first fruits. And this is what happens, verse 37. Now when they, the crowd, heard this, they were cut to heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Can you almost get the picture? Oh, Peter, get back up there. Tell him what to do. You forgot to mention what to do for a sermon. You know, give him a break. He gets back up here. And this is what he says to them. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then there's a, a footnote, an addendum of what the rest of that day must have looked like. And, when, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Repent and be baptized. That's what he says. Repent and be baptized. Peter said it at the very beginning. Whatever the, the, the full message that Paul delivers in Acts 16 to Lydia is, we don't know the actual words of what he said, but we know it's effect. She gets baptized. And in fact, just like it says in Acts 2 there, the Lord gave her ears to hear. That's the second thing, to notice that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. I love that the, that the first thing that she does is get baptized. Uh, you know, and again, she's just in a position to hear God. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. She's at a place of prayer. She was surprised that week with, met with, with visitors. And, and it's a wonder of wonders. She's surprised by a rabbi, not any other rabbi, but a rabbi who's a messianic rabbi who points to Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord, it says, opened her heart to pay attention, to be attentive to what Paul said. Now that is crucial, absolutely critical. Is it enough to pray? It, it is good to pray. We must pray, right? Uh, are we saved by our prayers? No. 
Is it baptism that saves? No. Is it the preaching of what Paul said? What saves? No. Now, all those are necessary. They all need to be in place for salvation, but they're not sufficient. Who saves? God saves. Every salvation that leads to a baptism is a miracle of God. God is personally himself wading into time and space to save you. I mean, he does it. By whatever means, like that one song, may Christ be all around me, above me, below me, before me, behind me, so that when they look at me, they see not Josh or Kip or Greg or Sue, but Christ in me. So that when Paul is speaking, it stops being Paul, and we stop making a big deal about him, and we say, look what God did. He saved Lydia. Wow. Think of that. He saved me. Not because I was in the right place, because I'm the right person, because I responded in the right way, because I had faith. All those things, necessary but not sufficient, God alone saves. That's so critical. In fact, Ephesians 2, he talks about that. The Apostle Paul, he says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this, the faith, is a gift of God. Why was Lydia saved? According to Luke, who records it and must have inquired or heard her testimony or talked to her or something. And in her mind, in his mind, and in the scriptures, I guess the most important mind, the Holy Spirit's words, <laughs> recorded in scripture, she was saved because the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Now that is truly marvelous because it means that if God saves, it means that God can go anywhere to save anyone. He can go into a prison, and he will do that later. He can go into the life of a woman, a young lady, apparently, who is inhabited by an evil force, used cruelly by her masters in a profiteering, exploitive kind of way. He can even save her. He can save Lydia, who is this bold, decisive woman who leads an enterprise, who's the livelihood of a great many depend upon her, that she makes good judgment calls on what she buys or doesn't buy and what price she lists it at. All those ordinary decisions, like God can save her too. He can save you, is my point. And he can keep on saving. Isn't salvation not a one and done thing? It may begin, always has a beginning. And baptism should be apparently one of the first things. It was for Paul, by the way, too. In Acts when chapter 9, it says that, that when he was blinded by Jesus, remember, and he starts fasting immediately. And then Ananias sends some days later uh, a, a true believer of Jesus who's filled with the Spirit who comes in and says, Saul, the Lord has sent me that you might receive the Holy Spirit and to heal you. And he lays his hands on and prays for him and his scales fall off. And it says this, and immediately Saul got up, was baptized, and took some food to strengthen himself. Even Saul, even who becomes Paul, the first, one of the first things he does is get baptized. It's one of the first things to indicate that you are the Lord's. The Lord himself saves. I find that incredibly encouraging because when we are praying, we are addressing our prayers to God. 
Not to human physicians, not to systems, not to the people who are working on the taxpayers' roads. Not, we're not you know, berating our child or, or spouse or a neighbor to know Jesus. None of those things. We are, our only hope of their salvation and ours is to go to the Lord. And what a God we have who can enter anyone in any situation at any time and decisively bring them to God. So that should change our prayers. I mean, how long should we pray? It reminds me of a story that I read in uh, Bill Heibel's books, book, uh, Too Busy to Pray. He tells about one of those Sundays when they had a, a, lot, a lot of baptisms there down at the lake that's uh, at Willow Creek. Uh, back in those faithful days when they were on mission for Christ, I think, um, there, there was a whole bunch of baptisms and he was excited. He was jazzed. Pastor Heibel's was. And he, he leaves the, all those baptisms and heads back into the church and to his Surprise finds a woman sobbing in the stairwell at their church. And, and he's like, oh, honey, what's going on? What's go- I'm struggling today because my mom was just baptized. Okay. What? Why are you struggling? If, you're, if your mom's been baptized, this is a day of joy. You don't understand. I have been praying for my mom for 20 years to come to Jesus. And I reminded myself just now that at about the five-year mark, I thought, what's the point? (laughs) What's the point? Who needs this? This isn't going to work. God isn't listening. Ten years into this praying, I thought, I'm wasting my breath. Fifteen years, I thought, "This this is absurd. I'm done. Just last year, I was just about ready to be done. And now I have prayed and continue to pray. And my mom gave her life to Jesus Christ today. And she said to Pastor Hybels, I will never again doubt the power of prayer. It is not the prayer that is powerful. It is the God to whom you pray that is powerful. God can save the biggest rascal in your life. (laughs) He can. He saved you. He can save him. He can save her. Do not let up in your prayers, beloved. Keep praying. Even this morning, there will be a baptism of someone that we have been praying much for. That God, in his sudden way, saved. That we give him glory. Third, so Paul preached. Secondly, the Lord opened her heart. Thirdly, that we see how Lydia responds. Just very briefly, she was baptized. What a gutsy move, right? What a gutsy move. Uh, What a courageous, bold thing to be the first to follow, uh, to respond to Paul's instructions or his opportunity or offer invitation. She goes into the waters and they just just get baptized and she gets baptized. Her household goes with her. We'll talk about that, I think, at another point. But I will observe that this, that like with the Ethiopian eunuch, one of the common places that God brings people to baptism is rivers. And I think because as every child knows, what's at a river? Water. <laughs> Lots of water. And uh, though my first baptism here was of Don Graham, uh, who was in the hospital, I could not bring him all the way under the water. That would just not be appropriate with everything hooked up to him. And I, so I poured some water on him. I think if you can, this, there's a symbol in going all the way under. Uh, I'm not going to you know, belabor it. I'm not going to say it has to be that way, of course. But I'm saying that if you can... Go all the way under. Just like you should go all the way in for Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
So her household's baptized. We'll talk about that perhaps uh, another time. But uh, then Lydia does something beautiful and is just as costly as her baptism and her witness there. She invites Paul and his company to stay at her house. In fact, it seems like she has to kind of press it press it on them and, and use her negotiating abilities uh, to get them to get the whole team to come. And I don't know if that was, you know, if there was a tension there or if there was just a, you know, Paul not wanting to, you know, be a burden to this new convert. I'm not really sure what was going on. But she says this to them in verse 15. After her baptism, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So here she is at some cost. This is a woman who's decisive. She's saying, not only um, will I receive the salvation that you have offered in Christ, be filled with the Spirit, this is a day of life for me. She's bold. She's like, you come to my place today. Right? I will put you up. I will, I will house you and support you and financially cover so many things. Jesus once said that, um, put it this way, I, I, let me rephrase. I would say Jesus has called us to a personal relationship, but not to a private relationship. And that's really important in our age, in our specific society, where many people would urge you just to keep it to yourself, to maintain the separation of church and state in our family, in your marriage, in with your children. Don't believe that. You, you are, it is to be personal, and you are to declare it. Lydia... Uh, starts immediately, and we know from what happens next when he, they get thrown in prison that this would have been costly for her. It would have cost something of her reputation, perhaps broken ties in her uh, her business and in the livelihood that she uh, depended upon for herself and her own household. But she does this because when you come to Jesus, you do bold things. You just do. I remember my own baptism. I was nine years old. And like Lydia and the Philippian jailer from that text, uh, you'll notice that, that there isn't a big process really that Paul and Silas like sort of spend a few weeks making sure Lydia means it <laughs> or that the jailer means it that night. They get baptized immediately. Because when God moves, you do something about it, right? That's the point. They, they, they do it immediately. I, I was baptized, I think it was a, a Tuesday or a Thursday night. I don't know what night of the week it was. It, it was just, I came to Christ that night in my father's den when I recognized I was a sinner and I lay hold of the cross of Christ for forgiveness. And God rescued me in that moment at nine. I was baptized. I did something I've never done before after the baptism. They did a big circle and it was all adults and a little shrimp named Josh and they were going to pray. And I, I thought, I've got to pray out loud for the first time ever because I couldn't hold the joy in me. I had to thank Jesus. Someone had to thank him that was involved in the water, and it was me. Right? So I, I was nine. It was the first out loud prayer that I think I ever prayed, certainly in front of church people. You do bold things when you get excited about Jesus. And in about five minutes, a man is about to do something bold uh, to share his testimony. But before we get there, I just want to press upon you this. That the Lord opened her heart to understand. And if the Lord has opened your heart to understand, if you're even taking the time to listen to this sermon, take that as an indication that if you are not already baptized, the Lord is hunting you, he's seeking you, and he wants you for his. If you turn your life over to him, you will never regret. You will love it. Lydia loved it. I loved it. Talk to others who follow Jesus, who love him more today than they once did who are willing to sacrifice their all, even, uh, I would urge you, 
Let's consider that call, that invitation to be baptized. And all of us who've been baptized at one point or another, let us in this month or whatever, as we look at the scriptures together, come to appreciate our baptism with greater depth of clarity and, and courage and begin to proclaim the invitation to people around us too, that they too could be baptized for the salvation of their souls. Father in heaven, um, we are grateful for this day. We love what you have done and who you are. We are depending upon you, Father, to give the gift of faith to those who need it. I pray right now in my heart, in my mind, my attention, I'm thinking specifically of people on the East Coast that I know who do not know you, not really. Oh, that they might be born again. Think of a man and his wife on the West Coast. Oh, that they might be born again. Hmm. You know who I'm thinking about, Lord. And I think about here. There are some folks I know and love a lot more here because I live here who I want to say the same thing. Oh, Father, that they might come to know Jesus. Please open their eyes to see that you are risen and that you are salvation. That you are calling them and that you will do life with them. Thank you for listening. We will take note of how you answer our prayers and give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.